pastor needs to start going to next and just see what's going on. It, if it's getting rough over there, sounds like good stuff. And uh, But I'm glad to see all of you and appreciate you coming out on Wednesday night. And uh, I don't know, I just saw someone walk through the door a few moments ago and thought, you know what, there's no telling how busy that person has been today. And they're here, they're, they're sitting in the room right now. No telling how busy they've been through, or busy they were today, and um, get home and you got dinner and kids and all that, but they made it for church tonight. I appreciate it. I thank y'all very much for that. And there's probably about 12 or 13 people saying, well, he's talking about me. <laughs> You'll never know. Uh, but if that's the case, then yes, I am talking about you. But it's inspiring especially on Wednesday night. I know we all live busy lives and work is demanding. And back when I worked a secular job years ago, you could get by pretty much with 40, 45 hours a week. But I think the average work week now is 50 to 55 hours a week. And then some people work two jobs and and all of that. I appreciate you folks being here tonight. Thank you all very much for coming. This past Sunday, I talked to you about the ultimate vision which is caring for lost people, reaching for lost people, and then the ultimate inevitability of either going to heaven or to hell. I want to couple with that tonight, this Bible study, uh, not particularly in that direction. There will be some overlap. But I'm going to ask every individual, every family in our church to do at least this much when it comes to vision. There's people sitting in the room that are doing far more. I'm not asking you to do less. But if you're not doing this much, would you consider doing it? It's not hard. I promise you what I'll present tonight is not hard. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about vision for the future. We're a visionary church. We have been. We started off that way and uh, still are. And uh, we still have vision for our church. And where I've not put a whole lot of what I've taught and preached this year in that little nutshell called vision, has been very visionary preaching. That's, that's been my vision for this, church so, for this church so far this year. When I taught on sin and preached about sin, that to me is visionary preaching because... You can plan, you just don't repent, and then go out and repeat, and then repent, repeat, repent, repeat. But you become visionary people and say, we're going to restructure our personal lives, our home, our family. We're going to do a lot of restructuring, rebuilding, and we're determined to live closer to God now than we ever have. Now, we didn't put a word on here on the wall like we've done in the past, and we didn't shoot two t-shirts from the pulpit as we've done in the past, and Um, we didn't do all of that. I didn't market hardly any of it. But it's been what I consider to be very visionary preaching to help you direct your future, your life, and your families. And I'm I'm so thankful tonight for numerous families that are here tonight that have responded to that. And um, I can can see it. Uh, It's evident to me. And I deeply, deeply appreciate it. So tonight I want to give you just a small little plan of what I'd like for you to consider 
to be the vision you have for you as an individual and for your family, uh, not just for this year, but from now till Jesus comes. So let me begin tonight by saying that we all know it's a redundant statement, but we do live in a very busy world. I learned in, in, in the past years that when people get too busy with their lives, the first thing to go is church. A lot of people think that's the most least required and the most optional part of my life. So if the job gets to be too demanding, the family gets too demanding, etc., the first thing I'll cut out of my life is church. When in reality, that's not an option. You don't cut your relationship with God out of your life, period, for any reason. Relationship with God is not optional. And I don't think God bargains. But we do live in a very busy world, and at times it seems as if our lives are spinning out of control. However, it is in these times when I have to remind myself, and, and we gave you a little uh, flyer um, with your free container of cotton candy this past Sunday. You're welcome. I've had grown men thank me for that cotton candy. I've been amazed at what that cotton candy, the impact. It had greater impact here Sunday than Jesus did. Almost. It was good stuff. I've had a container or two myself. And not that that's any of your concern. But I preached to you last Sunday... And I gave, we wrapped a little card. Thank you, Sister Landry, for your amazing help with that. Uh, 240 containers of cotton candy. To remind you about the greatest moment you'll ever have in your life is when you make it to heaven and have somebody walk up to you and say, thank you for the influence and the teaching and the prodding that you did to help me get here. It's made the greatest moment of not only you making it, but helping someone else make it. And I, 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 want, I would to God tonight that everybody in this building would plan everything you do from here on out for the rest of your life against the backdrop of going to heaven. If you will, priorities will change by default. If you don't make it to heaven, you've lost everything, and Jesus taught that. So there, when we're so busy and things are spinning out of control and we're discouraged, we're depressed, and what's the use of even going to church anymore? That's when I have to remind myself that the Lord is preparing a wonderful future for my family and I, and it is imperative that we remain focused on that future. The same is true for you. There is a wonderful, godly future for you and your family and we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. It doesn't matter what else is going on in our life. Living in our world that's pulling us in a hundred different directions, it makes staying focused no easy task. And I will concede tonight that for a pastor to live that way is, might be a little bit easier because this is my job. It's my livelihood. But I will not stop short of saying that 
I have my temptations too. Sometimes it gets very wearisome, it gets stressful, it gets tiresome, etc. It'd be easy to just throw the towel in and quit. But I've got my mind made up and I've got my mind set. I want to be a recipient and an heir of that golden abode one day that we call, the Bible calls, heaven. So keeping focused on the Lord and, and the work of His kingdom, it does require that we lay aside many things, many worthless things, and it should prompt us to set our mind on many important things. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans laid out his future plans to the church. He had already given a great exposition of the gospel in the preceding chapters, and now towards the end of the book he details what will, he will attempt to do in the future. So listen carefully to our text in Romans 15. He said, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you, and some sort is putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ. Everybody say the minister. Everybody say minister. He said that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Let me stop and say here in passing, Paul being of Jewish birth and descent, um, a lot of Jewish people didn't feel like fooling with Jewish people. They sure didn't feel like fooling with Gentile people. Gentile people back in those Bible times were a class of people beneath them even if they were even human. But Paul said, I'm going to minister to them. He's, as a matter of fact, he's writing to Gentile people, and he even throws that bent of prejudice, if you will, uh, into his scripture writing. He said, I'm even hoping that God will accept them. Verse 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they have not heard, those that have not heard shall understand. So again, I want to talk to you tonight about a vision for the future. As I preached to you this past Sunday, our first focus, when you want to sit down with your spouse... If your kids are old enough and you want to sit down and talk to them about it even. Your first focus should be the lost. That is assuming that you have uh, perhaps sufficient Bible knowledge. That you understand church attendance and, 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 and basic Christian living. Now it's time to take another step. I'm asking everybody to do this tonight. I have personally been convicted 
Uh, I shared with somebody before the service, right now I have at least four Bible studies, if not going on currently, they're in the works. I want to reach people and help establish people for the kingdom of God. Our first focus should be once we've established Christian principle and what have you in our homes and our families and even in our individual lives, our next focus should be the law. So even after having written a glowing explanation of the gospel to the church at Rome, Paul comes to the end of that book and seeks to bring the Romans' minds back into focus on the lost. That bottom line, somebody came to you, now you go to someone else. The Romans, in this case, was constantly just looking for knowledge. I want to just be smarter in the Bible. I want to be smarter about Christianity. But Paul is, is trying to remind them that their knowledge of God is given to them so that they will be equipped to reach the lost. I have said oftentimes from this pulpit, I'm not coming to you with a sermon or a Bible study to enhance your knowledge. It's giving you tools to take outside of this building and reach people around you. In this portion of Scripture, Paul calls himself two things. The first of which is a minister. Everybody say a minister. There are several words in Scripture that's used to translate into minister or servant. But in this case, Paul uses a word that we get the English word liturgy from. Paul was not calling himself just any kind of servant or minister. But under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he used a specific word that relates to the idea of a minister serving in sacred duties. Another way of putting it is a person who works in the service of the temple, a sacred servant. That may be a little foreign to us tonight, but it should not be. Because all of us are ministers in the temple. All of us are ministers in the church. In reality, Paul was calling himself a priest. Again, that's language that we're not necessarily comfortable with in our current church culture. But a priest, according to the Bible, is a person, is a someone who mediates between God and people. Most of us are uncomfortable with the term priest because we conjure up in our mind images of men in the Old Testament wearing certain strange clothes and offering animal sacrifices and so on. Or you can even think of a modern-day priest in all due respect in his black clothing, clothing with a white collar. This, not is, this is not, however, an accurate picture of a New Testament priest, which all of us are. We are. We must realize that the priesthood of the Old Testament was not done away with totally. It was transformed. Because Peter said, the very familiar scripture that we all know in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9... You're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Not me as pastor, but all of us as Christian people. We're ministers. 
We're priests. We help mediate between God and people. Do you realize that's what you're doing when you pray? When you're praying for your lost family members? When you're praying for lost friends and loved ones? You're helping to mediate between them and God. When you pray for a discouraged saint of God. When you pray for someone who is depressed or someone that's going through a hard time. You're helping mediate a blessing or an answer between them and God. So in that capacity, without you realizing it or not, you're a priest. That's what they do. That's what you do when you pray for others. So if you want to fulfill the scripture, the New Testament scripture, then you are willing to wear that cloak, if you will, figuratively speaking, when you pray. When you pray for your lost spouse, when you pray for lost kids or lost parents, you're putting yourself in the role of a priest because you're helping to mediate between them and God. Had Noah not done that, we wouldn't be here tonight as a human race. If Moses had not done that, Israel would not be here as a nation. There are many illustrations throughout the Bible. Abraham interceding for Lot. He was willing to step into that arena of priest. And if we could understand that, it would put more authority in our prayer. You don't always come to God just to repent and for self-encouragement and self-inspiration. But oftentimes when you pray, you pray for other people. And when you do, you're serving in the capacity of a priest. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I never thought of that before. Paul draws most of this passage in Romans from the book of Exodus. More specifically, chapter 19, where God declares his desire that all people be priests and not just the Levites. The Hebrew people were to be priests. They were, not, they were to glorify the name of the Lord among those nations who did not know him. So our role today is not much different in the, in the New Testament. We are to proclaim and glorify God's name among all nations. Jesus put the concept of proclaiming New Testament priests in some beautiful terms. He said, we, the church, are the salt of the earth. He said, we... The church is the light of the world. He said, we, the church, are fishers of men. He put it this way. But the fulfillment of those statements is literally priesthood. The sacred servant, you, are not to be just confined to one place of spirituality or of location. But God desires that you go out of this building and share the gospel of Jesus to your friends, neighbors, and to our community. Most of us have soul winning somewhat backwards. We set our minds to witnessing to someone, and it just turns into an argument about the Godhead or holiness. I'm approached oftentimes with, Pastor, I know this guy, and they believe in, you know, three gods or whatever gods and whatnot. I need some scriptures to to combat them with and to fight them with and whatever. I know somebody that lived to debate this stuff. They, they look for people. Not necessarily that they could win. Just, I just want to debate it. But that's not what God is calling us to do. 
I'll suggest a better method. And that's just talk to people about Jesus. Just talk to them about what he's done in your life and and the inspiration and blessing he's been in your life. The thing that I don't like about debate, I don't think it's even scriptural because God's not the author of confusion. And when you want to debate with me, that's where the conversation ends. And I make that clear when I teach Bible study. This is what Paul is basically saying to the church at Rome. In verse 18, he says, To not speak of anything except Christ and what he has accomplished through you. In verse 19, he says that all he did was preach the gospel. Why? Because he had already told the Romans in chapter 1, if you remember the verse, that God, the power of God, is unto salvation. I'm not here to convert you to a theology. I'm not here to enhance your knowledge. I'm here to help you change your ways of sinning and, 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 and not pleasing God and what have you. So I'm going to present Jesus to you to lead you closer to him. That's the point. So you are mediating between God and man. I hope this makes sense to somebody here tonight. He used the same theme when he was writing to the church in Corinth. He said he was determined not to know anything among them except Jesus and him crucified. I'm not going to get in the weeds with you. I'm not going to argue with you about stuff. I'm I'm not going to take the Bible and put it under a microscope and destroy it. Why did he do that? So the Corinthians would build their faith on Christ and not on Paul. So we need to really be ready to tell others what Jesus has done in us and how he has changed our lives for the better. If we're not in the habit of doing this, I suggest you write down your testimony and practice it on family and friends until God opens a door. And this will help you stay focused on the lost. So I'm asking everybody here tonight. For, for at least 2020, if you could do it for the rest of this year. And we already have a month and a half behind us. But sit down with your family and discuss how you can step into the lives of, of people who are unchurched, people who are wayward, backsliders and so on. Not that they can pull you where they're at, but so you can bring them back to God. How can you do that? Uh, it brings me to our focus number two, and that's fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. I'm not going to take time to read the scripture. Again, it's in Romans 15, but uh, it's a lengthy reading. Let me move on tonight because my time's running out. I was going to read Romans 15, 22 through 29 if you want to read it later. But what is fellowship? To you, to I, what is fellowship? Is it just coming to church? Perhaps it is a gathering in the fellowship hall. Is that what it is? Somebody said one time you might be a Pentecostal if the word fellowship makes you think of a restaurant. Yes. You want to have some good fellowship? Let's go eat. I'm not too hard on Pentecostals about that because Jesus did it. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff he did in the four Gospels over a piece of bread. That's the one thing we all humans have in common, whether we like it or not, is that we like to eat. And uh, it breaks down a lot of barriers. I think Jesus was very wise, and I do that, as you can tell by looking. But somebody said one time, how in the world did the early church fellowship without coffee and donuts? Um, 
I had an occasion to go to someone's house, and some of you did as well, uh, this past weekend, and all that was there was king cake of every variety you can imagine. We were all comatose by the time we left. It was just, everybody was just walking around, kind of didn't even know their name, didn't know what was going on, had so much sugar. It was a great time of fellowship, we say. But there are several words that relate to fellowship that are quite biblical. And that's why we promote fellowship here at Grace Church. It's communion. It's sharing. It's participation. Fellowship is giving. But more than that, what is fellowship? Fellowship simply means, notice the screen, fellowship simply means the common participation in something either by giving what you have to the other person or receiving what he or she has. That's fellowship. It's whether you either give out or you receive back. It's fellowship, and it's an exchange. Therefore, fellowship is more than just coming to church. That's part of it. But it also means sharing. It means participating. It means communing with believers outside the church setting. Let's look at it more practical here tonight. Paul gave us two examples of how to fellowship And it was accomplished in Romans chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. First of all, when we're together, we share spiritual things. This is the ministry of the priest. This is ministering to one another. So when we are together, we should share spiritual things. Paul is talking primarily here about the gospel. The church had begun at Pentecost with a group of Jews in Jerusalem. Now the church would become witnesses to the world, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. In other words, part of fellowship with God and His body is sharing the gospel with those who do not know it. This isn't in my notes, and I'm going to have to stray here for a moment. But uh, I don't know if y'all can... I'm fixing to vanish from the live stream screen. Well, let's suppose we're having a time of fellowship. And I'm talking here with... Greg and Carla, and, and they're sweet people. We know each other and all of that. But you have Brian Tier over here that's a guest. And he don't know all of our stuff like we do. And we're sitting here having a ha-ha time, and nobody's included. We teach here at Grace Church, and I hope everybody does it, that somehow one of these three people are going to break out of their moment of hee-haw and conversation and fellowship and reach out to this guy over here to make him feel a part of the group well now we take it a step further that we give him something and open the door for him to give something back that's fellowship and that's where you minister to people so when they walk away they're glad they came because they're walking away with something they didn't come with now Give pastor some latitude. What we like to do in fellowship with Mr. Guest sitting over there. Well, I'm going to tell you what. My kids have just been horrible to me all week long. And boy, that doctor visit I had the other day. Oh, my goodness. I have the potential of having all these incurable diseases. And and oh, my word. My car broke down. I can't pay my rent. What's going to make that guy over there won't even come to your church and have anything to say about your God? Huh? 
I'm going to say it again. I get this virtually, I'm going to be very honest, probably about 95% of the time from church people. When they see pastor coming, here he comes. Let's take all of our stuff and just dump it. Well, it makes me think after a while that you do that with everybody. That I just, I'm going to go through this long litany of things about how horrible and rotten my life is, and we wonder why we can't win people to God. That's not ministering to people. Fellowship with one another. Listen to me, folks. This is a part of our vision, okay? Y'all wasn't expecting this tonight. I don't have a word back there for us to talk about, but this is a part of fellowship. We want to leave each other's company blessed, enriched, and not bogged down with each other's junk. We're, we're bottom line Pentecostal story toppers. Oh, I'm going to say it in all due respect here tonight, but it's going to illustrate the point. I walk up to Brother Donnie, and I went to the doctor today. Man, I've been diagnosed with cancer and only have three months. Well, that ain't nothing. I went to the doctor yesterday, and I've been diagnosed with cancer and only have two months. <laughs> That's what we do. I'm going to tell a story, and you're going to top it. And your story's going to be worse than mine. And we wonder why our lives are empty and unfulfilled and we just don't get out of church what we want. And we're always talking to God about our problems, our problems. If you can incorporate the lost and then you understand what true biblical fellowship is, then you understand when I'm invited to go somewhere and eat four pounds of king cake... <laughs> I want to leave that setting with people feeling glad I was there. And I want to leave that setting feeling like I'm glad I went. Has anybody ever been to a church function, especially fellowship? (laughs) And you tell your spouse on the way home, buddy, I'm sorry I went to that. Boy, that was a bummer. That's not biblical. Fellowship is sharing spiritual things. Fellowship is also sharing physical things. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2, they had all things in common. There's a lot of overlap in each other's story about how they converted and about how God good, how good God was to them and, and so on. That doesn't mean when they said they had all things common, they just took all their possessions and put it in a big pot. Rather, the early church practiced fellowship, listen, by being willing to share what they had with others in order to bring glory to God. So instead of charging for everything you want to get rid of, you give it away. I'm sorry, did I say something? Uh, We had somebody that attended Grace Church here that a number of years ago gave somebody a very nice, very well-maintained pickup truck. Gave it to them because they needed it. I don't want to toot my own horn, but Sister Murphy and I have decided a long time ago that we're just not going to sell stuff. If we can absolutely help it, we're not going to sell it. And we go through our house often, and we have two or three sources, and we'd like to give this to you, and we give it away. There's so much I want to say here, but time, time is not a friend. The book of Acts church, you're going to see this on the screen. They did not consider themselves owners of anything. 
but rather stewards of God's gifts. So God gave me something. I used it. I took care of it. Now I'm going to give it to you. That's the way they looked at it. This is fellowship. This is biblical fellowship. You know what can cause problems in the church is when you sell your best friend in church, which is stupid. Do not do business with a Pentecostal. You know why? When they're selling stuff, they want full price. But when you sell it to them, they want it for cheap or nothing. And I've seen it go sour so many times. I brought, bought that car from Brother So-and-So and the transmission fell out of it the following week. And he knew something was wrong with it and he sold it. Don't sell stuff to church people. Just don't do it. It's not a good idea. Especially don't do it in family. But if you have something that somebody needs, why don't you give it to them? Just bless them with it. Just give it away. Somebody asked Sister Murphy and I one time, said, man, y'all could make a lot of money. You know, just spending money if nothing else. Sell that stuff. I'm not going to do it. God blessed me with it. And to the best of our ability, we're going to give it away. If we can absolutely afford it, we'll give it away. So when we speak of fellowship, We're really speaking of sharing and participating in things we hold in common, our spiritual blessing and our physical blessing. That's fellowship. So look closely at what Paul was really doing in the book of Romans. I believe he is dealing with some very specific problems in the Roman church, one being a problem with unity and fellowship. The bulk of chapters 12 through 16 have one main theme, and that's fellowship and unity. Even when he closes the book, he warns the Romans to be careful of these things who would seek to destroy the fellowship and the unity of the church. He said, and I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Don't let people take away your unity and your fellowship. That's how much value God puts on those two things. <clears throat> Let me hurry on. I'm still running out of time. Our third focus will go to prayer. Our third focus is prayer, and I'll conclude on this point. Prayer is a reflection of our relationship with God, the same as communicating with all the other people you're in relationship with in your life is a reflection. Most marriages go bad because he won't talk to me. It's always the husband. Men don't talk that much. There's a few that do, but most don't. Men talk in headlines and women talk in paragraphs. We all know that. Uh, I've, I've asked Sister Murphy before, do you and Casey ever just run out of something to say? I, just, I don't have that many words to just put together and just say them and say them and say words, 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 words. And, and, and a, a lot of it's even repeated. I mean, it's just... I like words so much that I'm just going to repeat them over and over and say the same thing over and over. And I'm going, figuratively. Okay, everybody panic. But it's a reflection. I'm glad they, they talk a lot between the two of them. It's a reflection of their relationship. Our prayer life is a reflection of our relationship with God. So relationships do not survive without communication. So how would you define prayer? Let me illustrate with this story. A little girl was visiting a church for the first time. And she noticed that at one point in the service, everyone got quiet and bowed their heads. And looked at her mom and dad and said, what is everybody doing? And her mom replied, they're praying. To which the little girl abruptly responded, said, without their PJs on? 
Because in her mind, you only prayed before you went to bed. And that's what we do oftentimes. Prayer is a certain thing for a certain place in a certain time. Try running your marriage like that. Marriage is only for a certain place at a certain time. I'll communicate with my spouse when it's necessary. See how that works. Run that for about two years and let me know how you do it. Do it with your kids. Kids are only for a certain place at a certain time. Our relationship with God is, a, is, is 24-7. And you should be, feel free to talk to him anytime you want. It's not prayer. It's not just something you do at bedtime. Others' prayer may de- be defined as something you do around the table before you eat a meal. To others, prayer is simply some laundry list of needs they take to God every day. Have you ever tried to pray without asking God for something? It's not as easy as you think. And it's amazing how short the prayer comes when you don't have anything to ask for. You don't have anything to say. Prayer is really a time of refocusing on what is important to the kingdom. In prayer, we receive forgiveness for sin, direction for our day, and ultimately it helps us to put the busy, hectic, chaotic world into perspective. So in conclusion tonight, Jesus is the focus of all we do. And when we focus on the lost, we're really focusing on Jesus by telling them about him. When we focus on fellowship, we're really focusing on Jesus because we are really ministering to his beloved. When we focus on prayer, we're really focusing on Jesus because we're in communication with our king. At the end of it all, it's Jesus. So as we focus on the lost and fellowship and prayer, we're declaring that we have a focus on the future, reaching the lost ensures the future of this congregation. Fellowship with each other ensures that disciples are made to do the work of the church and prayer is a glue that holds it all together so we have a future. So I'm asking every family to take this Bible study to heart. We're going to start reaching out to people that don't know Jesus. We're going to start fellowshipping more with God's people to encourage them and to give things into their lives. And we're going to pray more. If you'll make that a part of your vision, your environment of your home will change, your attitude will change, everything about you will change if you'll do it. So it's our vision for the future. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. And um, I do enjoy breaking tradition now and then. And one of these is dismissing people from the seated position. And so tonight we'll break tradition once again and say that you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. We'll see you Sunday from the seated position. And you'll still walk out of here saved. Isn't that something? God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning.